are back with another edition of Behind the Yellow Line with Jeremy and Randall. This is Ronan. You can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. We're going pretty short here tonight. Full show already out there, so be sure you check it out. We had a wonderful, about hour-long conversation with Matt Clapp at the Blog Finds. Uh, he is the managing editor at The Comeback. You can find his work at Awful Announcing. And we spent, guys, a good part of that hour talking trade deadline, draft, sort of the status of the organization here. Awesome conversation with Matt. And I think that uh, anybody listening to this, jump over to that, check that one out. Um, lots of great insight from Matt and just fun hearing kind of his story also as a Cub fan. Yeah, I thought it went really well. I, I was like, I like talking to Matt. Hopefully we'll have him on again sometime. Yeah, yeah it's it's great to bring in the, these names who do the, the fandom a great service. We've been fortunate to have photographers on. We've been fortunate to have uh, forecasters on uh, and to get one of the uh, Cubs blogger on. Uh, it's great that we're in this position to, to have these in-depth conversations with people who fill different roles in the fandom. You know, I'll say something else too, Randall. There's a lot of negativity out in social media. Jeremy, you even had a question to Matt about, like, if you type in Jed Hoyer right now on Twitter, oh, it's a whole lot of hate mail and hate messages. A lot of people are critical of the job that he's doing and the task in front of him here. But a guy like Matt, like, I've been seeing his work, his uh, opinion, his thoughts on the Cubs for a better part of a decade. I've never actually spoken to the guy on the phone before uh we've exchanged maybe some private messages or tweets or things like that over the years but here we are we have a conversation and it's like we're sitting across each other in a bar talking baseball so it's one of the nice things about social media is you can connect with people that otherwise you never would meet that are passionate about the same things you are and very cool just to get his thoughts on everything again from the draft to the trade deadline some really interesting takes in there too about guys that maybe aren't receiving a lot of media attention right now like a marcus stroman so definitely worth checking that one out um, but nice chatting with him uh, we're going to go a little bit shorter though here tonight we do want to talk about the hot play the cubs have been playing they can't be beat coming out of the All-Star break. They go to Philadelphia. They sweep the Phillies. They come home. They knock off the two-game sweep of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And, Jeremy, you were out there Tuesday, midweek day game, more than 30,000 people at Wrigley Field. Cubs win, but the storyline really on Tuesday, Wilson Contreras and maybe Ian Happ playing in their last game at Wrigley Field as Cubs, uh, seemed emotional following the game from a thousand miles away. What was it like at Wrigley on Tuesday? Definitely emotional. It, it, it clearly, there was something felt, I think, in the air. Wilson, obviously, you know, he, he as he, he was wont to do, he, he took his time, appreciated the fans, appreciated Wrigley Field. It seemed like stepping out of the box, you know, and the Pirates, you know, they weren't, you know, they, they're, they're pulling their little yachty moves to let Wilson have the attention, which is what the right thing to do. And, you know, it was a, it was a bittersweet game. It was you had the highs of, you know, Nico Horner getting a double, say hitting a homer and a double, Ian Happ just ripping a ball, Keegan Thompson pitching great. It was a fun Cubs game to be at. But on the other end of that, it was you had all the lows of this might be it for Wilson. He had the final cheers in the seventh inning and, and the cheers when he came into the plate in the first inning. And it, it, it just was it was kind of a bittersweet. Unfortunately, it didn't seem like Ian Happ kind of got the same you know, mm. treatment. I don't know if the fans all knew that maybe he's also on his way out, but it was just, like, it was a weird time to be at Wrigley. I didn't feel it as much as I felt it last year when I went and I saw Chris Bryant hit like a final homer and Anthony Rizzo that I felt like really sad. I don't know. I, cause I think I already did it last year. I know for some people like there's the hurts of pain again, yeah. but for me, it was like, I, I knew coming in Wilson's gone. So it was kind of like, 
kind of closure I kind of felt like for me with Wilson. It sucks. As we all said on the other podcast it, last night with, or with Matt Clapp, but it sucks. But for me, it was kind of a closure moment. It, we, we've experienced the pain now. It's not new to us anymore. We know what to expect. Just to talk about Ian Happ real quick, he said the left field bleacher fans signed a baseball for okay. him and tossed that to him. So I think Ian knew that everyone loves him too. But I don't think there's too many things that are going to be more emblematic of this 2022 season other than a game summary that goes, Keegan Thompson pitches great, Seiya Suzuki homers, and it gets overshadowed by two longtime Cubs probably playing their last home games as members of the team. I think that perfectly encapsulates everything that will go in the, the quote unquote history book about this season. And, you know, Keegan lights out yesterday. I know it's Pittsburgh, right? And that team's awful and all that, but seven innings, no earned runs, seven strikeouts, no walks. We're going to see Justin Steele Thursday night kicking off that series in San Francisco. These two guys on the mound, this is much watch must watch baseball for Cubs fans. And that's exactly what we wanted even a month or two months ago is that when these guys are on the mound, it's got your attention and you've got a vested interest in what's happening. Jeremy, must have been awesome watching Keegan out there yesterday just sort of tearing up that bad Pittsburgh team. It, it, it was great, and he was money. And I was almost surprised. You know, that was – I believe that was his longest start ever in his career. He went seven innings, and he was extremely efficient – and it's unfortunate that Nico, who we've all been talking up as being so great this year, and he has been, especially on the defensive end, uh, booted that ball that allowed the opportunity for a run to come in um, eventually. Uh, two runs were scored, but he, he was pitching great. I, at one point, I was thinking in my head, like, what's his pitch count? Is he on pace for a Maddox here? You know, and I don't know if – I know it's the Pirates, so you got to put that in. Sure. But they have some talent there. They have O'Neill Cruz and Brian Hayes and Brian Reynolds. There's some decent hitters in that lineup. That was maybe the best we've seen Keegan Thompson pitch ever in his career. And so that's something, you know, to keep building. Like, I don't know where we're going to go in the future. Matt, I mentioned on the previous podcast, which you should also listen to, that maybe they'll be on an arms limit, not pitching into September. But uh, so it's something to build off of. And I, I was excited to see it yesterday. Yeah, we talk about sometimes the disconnect between maybe a guy's line and how well he pitched or vice versa. Maybe he didn't pitch especially well, but the but. Uh, he still comes out with a decent line score. I think Keegan Thompson, he, I think he did both yesterday. Uh, I didn't see the game live. I did catch the replay on Marquee because I wanted to see Keegan Thompson pitch. And I think that's probably the best he's looked in addition to probably being one of his best lines as a major league pitcher. You know, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the, the best velocity on the fastball. He tops out 94, 95, but he was going right after every hitter yesterday. He was pitching with a great pace. He was mixing in that breaking ball of his. I think that's the best he's looked in addition to the best he's pitched as a big leaguer. And again, we'll, we'll, pref we'll put the qualifier on there. We'll, we'll put a little P with an asterisk, P on the asterisk, that it was against the Pirates. Uh, as Jeremy said, you know, they've got some decent hitters, but overall it's not a great lineup. But if he had struggled against his Pirates lineup, that would be a story too. So that was a very exciting start for Keegan Thompson. And talking about these two games against Pittsburgh, there's something that's been bouncing around in my head the uh -oh. last couple of nights. I know that's dangerous. Yeah, that can go a lot of different ways. But of course, the marketing slogan for this year is it's different here. And I kind of hate that that's borne out. I don't, I, I don't hate that Cubs fans have shown up because I think that shows that we are, maybe if not the brightest individuals, we are a very loyal and very passionate fan base. But there's some, you just know there's somebody in the Cubs marketing department who's sitting there smugly every time you get 
37,000 out there for a night game against the Pirates in July, 30,000 for a day game in the Pirates against July. Every time they see that, they're, they're turning to their boss and going, see, I told you it's different here, at which yeah. point they turn to the camera and smirk. So I kind of just hate that that marketing slogan in a lost year is proven correctly and someone is sitting there smirking about it. That's just something that's bounced around in my head after the last couple after the last couple games. Well I, well, I was shocked at that environment Monday at Wrigley Field. Like, obviously, there's a lot of excitement and Cubs fans want to, like, pay their respects. Almost like a funeral procession for <laughs> Wilson. Like, he's alive and he's there, but you're <laughs> sending him off to his next life. But I'm not dead yet. Yes, you are. You'll be dead any minute. But, like, 37,000. And it's not just, okay, there's 37,000 people there standing with two strikes. I don't have much nice to say about Zach Zaidman, okay? But... I will say something that he does do a nice job on social media is panning the ballpark during things like the seventh inning stretch to give people like me who aren't in the Chicago area a little taste of what it's like being at Wrigley Field these days. And it's packed, absolutely packed for two awful teams. Um, I, I, I think it does say a lot about Cubs fandom. And I'm torn on it. Like on one hand, screw the rickets. On the other hand, you earn your fandom by being a fan of teams that are bad. It's very easy to jump in when Chris Bryant and Rizzo and Javi are there doing magic. You earn your Cub fandom for being here for these 90 or 100 lost teams. And there were 38,000 people at that ballpark Monday. It's just wild. As a Cub scout, that's, that's a joke there, Ronan. Cub scout, get it? As a, you don't earn your you don't earn your Cub fan merit badges by, as you said, showing up for the 100 win teams, you earn them by showing up on a Monday night or a Tuesday for a team like this. So I, I feel like you're, you're of the same mind as me. You kind of hate that this marketing slogan is being proven right. But at the same time, there's there's something to it. There, there's something to it that Cubs fans are of a, of a different sort, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, but they are of a different sort that they kind of bear that out. Yeah, well, I don't. It, I don't... I don't begrudge. I was going to say, I don't begrudge anybody for not choosing to tune into this team and you know, whatever, if that's how they feel. But for me, I feel like you can't really experience the highs of say 2016. If you haven't really experienced the lows of, yep. uh, you know, 2022 or 2012 or whatever. Yeah. It comes with the territory. I mean, I think people who did jump on a bandwagon probably had a great time because those were very fun teams to watch, but unless you're invested in it, you're, it's not going to feel the same way as it does. We were there when they were owned 14 in 1997 going, Hey, maybe they're going to win a game. Maybe by the time they get to may, they're finally going to win a game this year. So you experience the highs are literally higher because you've been there when it's lower. When the Hawks went on that dynasty run, was it three titles in five years in the 2010? Six, but yeah, six years. Okay. Uh, I, you guys know, I don't care really about the NHL. I've never really been a huge hockey fan. I was happy for you all. And I'm, I watched some of the playoff games, but it didn't really matter to me. And it didn't matter to me this year watching the Avalanche win a Stanley Cup. Like, I put on some games late, good for them, but eh, it's, it's not for me. Uh, this is part of it, and it's going to be very satisfying in the next two or three years when the Pete Crow Armstrongs and the Alcantras and all these other guys get up to Wrigley Field because you see glimpses of it Monday. What I miss these last two years is the 40-plus thousand jam-packed Wrigley Field and just just crazy environments at the ballpark. We haven't gotten a lot of that, um, but it's certainly coming. And there was a little glimpse of that, I think, Monday night. Yeah, there have been some moments, you know, the July 4th series always kind of sticks out to me against yeah. the Red Sox. Um, there have been a few moments that it's like, okay, this is kind of how Wrigley should be rocking. 
Um, but it hasn't, you know, yeah, it's definitely not the same feeling as, you know, going out and watching the 2016 Cubs, 2017 Cubs, definitely not that. Um, but you know, it, it's still Wrigley when you're out there, it's still for the most part feels like Wrigley and it's nice to see the fans, you know, that a lot of people out there with their video cameras open. Cause you don't, it's the last chance to see Wilson yeah. Contreras. And I didn't begrudge anybody for doing that. Like normally be like, okay, watch the game. But like, this is a moment. This is Wilson Contreras, maybe final at bat at Wrigley field at, at, at Wrigley field as a cub. So uh, I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't begrudge anybody for trying to take that yeah. all in. And we'll never forget Wilson's first at bat at Wrigley field back in 2016. First pitch. In fact, out to the center field bleachers for his first career home run. Uh, one other thing on the game Tuesday, Jeremy, and then I want to look at this road trip. Uh, offensively, I'm watching here on TV in Denver. Suzuki hits that ball, and I'm screaming at the television. It looked destined for Waveland. Ended up hitting like a stanchion at the back of the bleachers. Yeah, it hit a, it hit a yeah. light post at the back of the bleachers. He's a, he's a light-hitting outfielder. So, I mean, that thing, that was a Waveland shot, though, that the uh, new renovations kind of robbed him and us of that moment. You're sitting up there behind home plate, front row of that upper deck, that 300 level. What was that like looking down when he crushed that ball to left field? Oh, that was, you know, he hit that and everybody knew that was gone. I mean, no, yeah. nobody, like the moment, you could just always hear like that sound. And it's like, okay, that ball's well hit. Uh, the same thing because kind of Ian Hap's like first inning ball, um, but that one didn't have the height to really get over. Like that's a well hit baseball, so you, you knew when Seiya Suzuki hit that, you're like, and you saw the the height of it and the arc, and I'm like, is that how far is that going to go? Are the ball catchers, you know, out there going to get that? And unfortunately, with the new renovations, as you mentioned, it, it stayed in the park. But Seiya yeah. had a game. He had a he had a double earlier, and he struck the ball pretty well too. Um, in the first inning. So, you know, it's nice to see Seiya Suzuki coming off the IL. He's been hot. He's hopefully made some of the adjustments that, you know, hey, he's in, he's come over from Japan. Everything is completely new to him and not just everything being like baseball stadiums. America is completely yeah. new to him culture. So it's going to be, you know, a hard thing for him to do, you know, every, so it's nice to see him like actually he's performing really well. Yeah. Well, this is a perfect segue. You say everything is new to him. This road trip, and this is going to be an opportunity, I think, for us to get some shots in here on St. Louis a little bit. The, the best word that I have to describe this upcoming road trip for the Cubs is dichotomy. You got four games in San Francisco, Northern California, one of the most beautiful places, not just in the country, but in the world. Not boring. Then you get on a plane, and you got three <laughs> games in St. Louis. Imagine boring. that, right? Four in San Francisco, three in St. Louis. This is going to be an eye-opening week for Seiya Suzuki. Definitely, definitely. But the one thing I will say that St. Louis has going for it is the rivalry a little bit because people in San Francisco, no offense, they're not going to really care about the Cubs. And that's not a shot at San Francisco baseball fans. It's just it's not, you know, Cubs Giants. But St. Louis will have a little bit more atmosphere, I feel like, with the Cardinals Cubs playing. A lot of that will be humidity, too. Well, that's yeah. the other thing, too. You go to, and we'll get the weather here in a minute. You go to San Francisco this time of the year, there's going to be fans wearing winter coats at those games this weekend. Then you go to St. Louis at the beginning of August, and it's like the word that I would describe, and I'm trying to be polite here, the nice word that I would use to describe St. Louis at the beginning of August is humid or moist, Randall's preferred word there. It's going to be a very weird road trip for this team. Four in San Francisco, three in St. Louis. Uh, Randall, let's start with the weather, and then we'll talk about what these games are going to look like for the Cubs. Absolutely. It is everyone's favorite time, once again, where we bring you the weather brought to us so that we can bring it to you by Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather. Find him on Twitter, at Alexander Hall. Find them on Twitter, at Cubs Weather. So, 
For San Francisco, Alexander describes the series vibe like hopping into a time machine and heading to October. It will be a standard issue, Central California coast, uh, July, cool, foggy with Pacific air, keeping everything nice and pleasant. So for the Thursday night game, that is an 8.45 p.m. Central time start, temperature around 60 degrees with a Pacific wind blasting out to center field at 20 to 30 miles per hour with increasing low clouds and fog. And that will also be the forecast for Friday night at 9.15 and Saturday night at 8.05 to uh, game time temperature temperature of 58 on Friday and 61 on Saturday. And then finally, for the Sunday night game, a 6.08 p.m. Central time start. I don't know what we did to get another ESPN game. I thought we were done with those. Have mercy on us, please. But the temperature will be 64 degrees, partly cloudy, and winds again out to center field a little less at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Going into St. Louis, Alexander describes the vibe as recovering from catastrophic flooding. St. Louis received its entire serving of July to August rain in a six hour period and then some uh, just in these last couple of days. So I'll put my professional hat on for just a second. All the best to the people suffering from flooding, natural disasters, obviously. No joke. Uh, I, I wish many things upon Cardinals fans, but having, uh, yeah. having losing everything going in a flood, not typically among them. Uh, but the vibe- typically. Typically, right. There have been some times where I might have reconsidered that. But uh, Alexander describes the uh, the additional vibe, the meteorological vibe for the series in St. Louis as, and I'm quoting here, nasty, New Orleans-y, hot, soupy vibes for next week. The Tuesday night game, a 6.45 p.m. Central time start, 95 degrees, an outside shot at a thunderstorm, light winds out to center field. Wednesday night, 6.45 p.m. Central time, 100 degrees, because 95 apparently was oh. not enough. Outside shot at a storm, uh, light and variable winds. And then Thursday night, the series finale, another 6.45 p.m. Central time start. It'll be practically uh, freezing, 92 degrees with a chance for thunderstorms and light winds out to center field. So as always, we appreciate uh, Alexander providing the weather to us. Again, find him on Twitter at Alexander Hall and find Cubs weather on Twitter at Cubs weather. Yeah, really good stuff there, Alexander. And how about this road trip? Seven games, two time zones, no day games. All of the games on this road trip are at night. Interesting to me, at least. Yeah. Back on Friday night, too, on the Apple TV again. That's two weeks oh, in a row God. that Cubs will be on Apple TV. Make Apple, it stop. Apple TV and ESPN all in one series. Again, all you need is like a Saturday Night Fox game in there just to make and it la- extra last perfect. Week, they didn't, they were on Peacock, too. So I, Boogan yeah. didn't like make the trip. And Jim, I don't think, made the trip because the Saturday game was Beth and Ryan. So I'm curious if they're going to come back to St. Louis. It's uh, been awful. All of these different networks and things, broadcasting games. I know the league makes money off of it. As a fan, it's incredibly annoying not being able to just log in for me to MLB TV and know that I can just put the games on. It, it, it just, it's not like, is it, am I tech savvy enough to be able to log into Apple TV plus? Yes. Do I want to continue to have to do this for a 90 loss team? I don't know. And I know there's a lot of fans that are going, fuck no, I don't have time for this. If it's not on TV, it doesn't bother. I'm not wasting my time with it. That's not good for the game. It's an extra step. It's an extra step. I always say about a restaurant like the Olive Garden, the one benefit of the Olive Garden is that it's there, it's available, and it's cheap. Or maybe maybe a a better example is the hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars. It's there, it's available, it's cheap. The second you have to do anything more than walk in and pay your $5 or whatever it is now, $6, because inflation hits everybody. The second you have to do more than walk in and pay your $6 to walk out with one of those pizzas, it's not worth it. 
And as you said, with this Cubs team, a lot of the time, if you have to go through the extra step to open the app, whether you have a smart TV, whether you're casting it, whatever you're doing, the second you have to go through that extra step, it, it the, the value of it decreases drastically. So I'm with you on that, Ronan. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Definitely makes it a little bit more difficult, you know, to find it. People are probably looking like, you know, there's people out there that don't that don't even know. Right. You know, yeah. they're, they're not following the the negotiations of Major League Baseball with what, you know, so that is difficult. I will say, and as someone who watched both the Apple TV and the Peacock broadcast, I did enjoy the Peacock broadcast more than I thought I would with when you get Jason Benetti and they have, he was, who was moving to Fox Sports. So he won't be calling Peacock anymore. Uh, at, after the season, uh, but you get Benetti and one broadcaster each from each team, and it was Ryan Sweeney from the Cubs and John Crock from the Phillies. And when the Cubs were winning, and as they did win that game, it was very fun to see to hear John Crux just being like, you know, total depression over every moment of the Phillies blowing this, and Ryan Sweeney being like, yeah, Nelson Velasquez hitting a home run, and Crux just be like, geez, out the watching the game, that was that was kind of enjoyable. I like that setup. Uh, Crux always been kind of a kind of a deadpan kind of kind of low key guy. He was so over that Phillies team on Sunday. He was just not there for it. He was doing his best to try and keep it professional. But every time the Phillies gave up another run or made some kind of mistake, you could just hear him going, can I go home now? He was over it. And you know what? That's fine because there are so many broadcasters who will try and prop up their teams, even when they are awful. Cruck just being kind of over it all. That's very refreshing. John Cruck's a very funny guy. Reminds me of the great Buck Showalter quote. You get stuck with John Cruck in the studio when they were both with ESPN and one of the West Coast night games blows a save and goes late. You have to go to Taco Bell with John Cruck and Buck Showalter. Always make sure to note there's no taco salad back there with John Crook. You don't want to be around him when he's hungry. So uh, like Jeremy said, I, I didn't hate the broadcast as much as I was expecting to, mostly because John Crook is a, a very funny and very grumpy individual. One other note here on the Cubs schedule. So an off night on the 27th, the night that we're recording this, then four night games in San Francisco, including the Sunday night game. Then they're off Monday, traveling back from the West Coast to the Midwest. You get three night games in St. Louis. They're playing Thursday night in St. Louis. Then they are home for a 120 game at Wrigley Field on Friday. That's pretty lousy, right? That, yes, it's not that long of a flight from St. Louis to Chicago, but you figure if the game doesn't go to extra innings or there's rain or anything like that, maybe you're getting to Chicago at about two in the morning and the game at Wrigley Field starts in less than 12 hours. That's suboptimal, Randall. It's silly. I don't, I'm not sure why they do that. I don't know if it's that they don't want to, an early August day game in St. Louis necessarily, but yeah, it always sucks to have to play a day game after a night game with travel involved. And, you know, I know fitting together the MLB schedule is a puzzle with a billion pieces to it. And if any of us tried to do it, we'd probably fail pretty miserably at it, but it just seems like one of those things that's avoidable. It also seems like one of those things that maybe, you know, because the Cubs are playing the home game and I know there's rules to the city on Friday, but maybe that's like, you know, you can kind of lobby for an exception there, moving that home game back yeah. at something that time because the home team does set the time. And even if you can't do the 7 o'clock start, the right. 7.05 start, Three, what about four? four? Yeah. Exactly. Three or four, just so you've got more than 12 hours to land at O'Hare, go back to your condo or wherever these players are staying, and then get back out to the ballpark. Um, uh, also, 
this is an interesting stretch of baseball for the Cubs. So they're in California, then they're in Missouri. They come back to Wrigley Field for a couple of days. They go to Iowa for the game against the Reds, and then back to Ohio, Washington, D.C., and Baltimore before coming back to Wrigley. So the next month is going to be pretty chaotic, and it should be an influx of youth for the Cubs roster once we get past that trade deadline at the beginning of next week. Speaking of trade deadline, Randall J. Sanders, some know him as the mad scientist, some know him as the professor, has some questions for us tonight. We don't know what's coming here. He teased Jeremy and I saying he's got some trade deadline themed trivia. Randall, what do you have for us tonight? Well, we love nothing more than doing trivia on the show, nothing more than doing thematically appropriate trivia on the show. So the theme of tonight's trivia is the trade deadline, which rapidly approaches its August 2nd nadir this season. And by the way, I learned this today. We've been wondering why it's on August 2nd. Apparently in the new CBA, the commissioner has the right to name any date from July 28th to August 3rd as the trade deadline. He can just pick whatever day. Yeah, you're giving me the thumbs down, Ronan. I agree. July 31st. August 1st, if July 31st is a Sunday, any other date, get out. Anyway, there have been plenty of significant trades in which the Cubs have been both buyers and sellers in our time as fans, but I've chosen four trades from recent to relatively recent Cubs history, trades made in playoff seasons and in which the Cubs traded three or more players for a big splash. And your goal is simple, name all of the players the Cubs shipped out in exchange for these big names. So we throw it back all the way to 2003 on July 23rd. The Chicago Cubs, of course, received Aramis Ramirez and Kenny Lofton in exchange for three players being sent to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Who were they? Bobby Hill. That is one of them. Absolutely. And then there was another guy. There were two other guys. Yeah, I know. I I think I got it, Jeremy. I think I Go for it. If you know it, name them. Well, uh, Jose Hernandez. Correct. Was the big leaguer. That's correct. And I believe the other player, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Matt Ruback. You are correct. Those are the three individuals. Minor league starting pitcher Matt Brubach went to the Pirates. Uh, Longtime Cub fan favorite utility man Jose Hernandez went to the Pirates. And then Bobby Hill, the infielder, was later sent to the Pirates as a player to be named later. So that is leg one of four. Yes, Ronan. I just want to say, and I I like Jim Hendry generally. I think his time needed to come to an end when it did. And I'm not here to speak poorly of Jim Hendry. But... And yeah, I'm a biased Cubs fan. That's an all-time trait. Like that's I'm not just talking Cubs history. That is one of the all-time fleeces to do that against a division opponent. And not just what you had with Aramis's career, which was incredible for the next decade plus with the Cubs. Kenny lost in the second half of 2003. There was no other player that that team needed more at that time than Kenny Lofton in center field, and he exceeded expectations. That is, put that trade in the Hall of Fame for Jim Hendry. In the Cubs Hall of Fame, that's a winner. We can say a great deal about Jim Hendry's tenure as general manager of the Cubs. A lot of it good, a lot of it bad, but he could pull off that big trade deadline deal like nobody. He, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Funnily enough, this next trade was also one of those trade deadline deals. On July 31st, 2004, the Chicago Cubs received Nomar Garcia-Para and a second player. That is one of the names I'm going to have you guys guess. And they sent out four different players to do different teams. So there's an extra wrinkle to this one. Four different players. You also have to name what team those players were sent to, because this, of course, was a four-team trade involving the Cubs and three other teams. So, Jeremy, I'll give you first crack at this. Well, I, I know one of those teams is Montreal and Boston. You are correct. I, I thought it was only those three. Well, one of the players I know is Francis Beltran. Correct. And I think he went to Montreal. That is correct. 
Um, ding, I'm ding, trying, ding, ding, ding. I'm trying to think of who else was involved in that deal. Like who went to, I, I don't even remember a fourth team. Was it like Minnesota was fourth team? Minnesota yeah. did receive a player from the Cubs in okay. that trade. Did they receive, who could they have received? I'm trying to think too. I'm trying was, to think. Was, go ahead. It's like before Eric Milton or whatever. No, not or Kyle Loesch. Was Kyle Loesch in that deal? Kyle Loesch was up, not in that deal. Well, we're trying to think who ended up in Minnesota from the Cubs. I, I will give you a hint. It was a minor leaguer, so it might not be a name that comes to mind immediately. Um, and don't, don't forget, the Cubs also got back a second player Matt with Bryant. Nomar. Okay, so we've yeah. got that the Cubs Matt received Merton, yeah. Nomar Garcia-Para and Matt Merton from the Red Sox. That's right. Um, I remember that. I, 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 I remember going to going to Montreal. That I remember. All right. Uh, oh man, who else? All right. So I'll call it here. So that was a four-team trade: the Cubs, the Red Sox, the former Montreal Expos, the then Montreal Expos, and the Minnesota Twins. There are a lot of players exchanging exchanging teams. They're greeting each other in midair. Orlando so the, Cabrera was was so in the, that deal. Orlando Cabrera was in that deal. He went from the Expos to the Red Sox. So the Cubs sent out hard-throwing reliever Francis Beltran, shortstop Alex Gonzalez, would oh. be would be world's or postseason hero, but more like postseason scapegoat. And they sent infielder Brendan Harris, who had a short cup of yeah. coffee Brendan with the Harris. Cubs earlier that season. Those three players went to the Montreal Expos, and then they sent minor league starting pitcher Justin Jones to the mm. Minnesota Twins mm. to complete the trade. We go for one more Jim Hendry special, July 8, 2008. The Cubs received Rich Harden and another player from the Oakland Athletics in exchange for four players. So only two teams involved in this deal, a little bit easy, but who else did the Cubs get back in exchange for Rich Harden or with Rich Harden? I beg your pardon. And who did they ship out to Oakland in that deal? Chad gone in. They got him back. You are correct. And uh, I know swingman, swingman Chad Godin. They did get back with, with Rich Harden, correct? And I know they traded Josh Donaldson, who you ended are up correct. Being a a star. young, young A ball catcher, Josh Donaldson, did and go to Oakland in that deal. Three other players involved. Sean Gallagher. You pitcher. are correct. Um, and I just had one in my head and now I just blanked on it. Eric Patterson. Eric Patterson. You are yeah. correct. Eric Patterson and one more player. He was a major league player, went to Oakland in that deal. Yeah. And I'm blanking on who it I was. will give you a hint. We have mentioned him already. In this show. Yes. In this, in this edition, in this very trivia segment. I was going to say, we, we mentioned him in the trivia segment. Yes. Uh, we have mentioned Merton, him in this. You are correct. Yeah. <laughs> you are correct. That deal was Rich Harden and Chad Godan. A nice, a nice Cajun name, Godan, coming back to the Cubs in exchange for a young A-ball catcher named Josh Donaldson, starting pitcher Sean Gallagher, outfielder Matt Merton, and utility man Eric Patterson going the other way to Oakland. And then the fourth and final leg of our journey tonight one of the names in this deal is going to be just shockingly obvious. I don't know that we even need to guess it. You'll get it immediately. But on July 25th, 2016, the Cubs received a Roldis Chapman from the New York Yankees in exchange for four players going to New York in that deal. Again, one of these is strikingly obvious. If you don't know it immediately, I'm kicking you off the show. The other three might be a little more difficult. Okay, obviously Glaber. Okay, us. very good. Glaber is that very obvious one. Thank you for getting um, that. Billy three McKinney. other names. Okay, two other names went to the Yankees in that deal. Billy McKinney is one. Glaber Torres is one. Two other names went to the New York Yankees in that trade. 
Was there a dude named uh, Rashad Crawford? Was you are correct, Jeremy. Minor league outfielder Rashad Crawford, who has popped up recently yeah. in independent ball. He was the third name in that deal. And there was one more name that went back to the Yankees in that deal. I will give you a hint. He was a major leaguer. He did come off the Cubs major league roster. Was Adam Warren? You are correct. Jeremy, four for four. I will give you four for four on that one, Jeremy. The Cubs, of course, traded minor league infielder Glaber Torres, who, again, we all know, minor league outfielder Rashad Crawford, minor league outfielder Billy McKinney, and then major league swingman Adam Warren, who actually came over from the Yankees as a free agent in the offseason. Cubs nice enough to trade him back to the Yankees, where the only place he ever really had any success. And so those are the four names the Cubs sent out for Aroldis Chapman. Four big-time trade deadline deals in fairly recent Cubs history. One of them came in a World Series year. The other three at least came in, uh, I beg your pardon, though, 2004 was not a playoff season. It should have been. Uh, It was not a playoff season. It very much should have been. They should have had the wild card this year. But three big, splashy trade deadline deals uh, and the names involved in them. So I look at the specter of trade deadlines past. Specter. Spectre. Yeah. Spectre. That's right. That's Jeremy in the past is the specter of trade deadline past. Well, good stuff there, Randall. And always fun kind of going down. I like how you had kind of good trades and maybe some uh, less good trades that impacted the Cubs over the years. Um, some great moments. So like, even though it didn't really work out with Nomar, that moment when the Cubs acquired him, th- that was a huge deal when he was coming over from Boston and you thought, okay, this is the missing piece. This team's going to go win a world series. They didn't even make the postseason. No, they did not. And again, that was, that was pre Twitter. That was pre learning something. The second it happens, we were learning this. Uh, I don't know if it, it happened after the game that day, but we were learning it from the post game show. We were learning it from ESPN breaking in, uh, showing it on their ticker. That was when, you know, I, I, I hate how I'm going to sound by saying this. That was when you had to wait to get news. And we did. And when that news broke, that was just crazy. The Cubs got who, and they only had to give up who just a a watershed moment in splashy Cubs, non-playoff year history trades, which is a very small sample size, but that's what makes it even better. Yeah. Yeah. I remember thinking that I was, I was like a camp when that happened. I remember overnight camping when that happened and I remember it happening. So I didn't really have a full focus on it, but I remember also thinking like they got Nomar and they didn't really give anything up to yeah. get him. Although, you know, we, I was into the prospects. I was like Francis Beltran. I knew that, but uh, then you're looking back on it though. You're thinking somewhat, maybe Theo knew what he was doing too. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, one other thing I wanted to touch on here, and then we're going to bring this home again. We, we really want to push folks over to the interview with Matt Clapp, which you'll find uploaded just prior to this. So please check that out and give him a follow at the blog finds and Matt to Clapp on social media. Number 78, it's our 78th podcast. Nobody's ever worn it, Randall, in Cubs history. So again, I ask who ought to be the first Cub to wear 78? Uh, you know, Jeremy suggested Alexander Canario who might see time in the major leagues this year. He does have that 40 man spot that he's occupying. Um, I think we should just keep guessing Alexander Canario as we go through these progressively higher numbers that nobody has ever worn before. If we guess enough of them, there's a real good chance we come out correct. So I think that's a real good strategy. Yeah. Canario obviously is on fire and so maybe he'll get a shot, but I'm going to go with another guy on fire in the minor leagues, uh, Yonatan Perlaza. All right. That's, that's a good call too. I think uh, there's a lot, to be the first or maybe the only guy to wear a number for a franchise. And I think that would be an exciting opportunity for some of these guys. A million guys have worn 25 and things like that. Go for 78, make it your own. Yeah. 
Well, that's all we got this week. Um, we got to figure out programming for next week when we're going to get a recording in here. Got a lot of moving parts here. Uh, I think I'm heading out west for a little bit, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we'll figure it out, though. We'll decide what we're going to do with regards to the show, but one thing is for certain. Cubs are playing some fun baseball right now. Enjoy it while you can, because any day, any minute, a whole bunch of guys are about to get traded. So enjoy some Cubs baseball. Beautiful ballpark this weekend in San Francisco. Should be very fun. Late night baseball. You got to get behind that. And then a trip to St. Louis next week. That's all we got this week. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Give us a shout out there for Jeremy and Randall. This is Ronan. We'll see you next time.